0: This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. I'm your host, Laura Alexander Wittig, CEO and founder of Brightly, the number one destination for conscious consumers around the world. At Good Together, we value the planet over perfection and believe that you can make positive things happen for the planet every day by being a conscious consumer and an informed citizen. Listen in as I chat with various experts about living and consuming responsibly. So Good Together listeners, I am so excited to welcome Philippe and Ashlyn Cousteau to the podcast. So they come from a very famous family who were pioneers in modern environmentalism. And that's an exciting place to start, I think, as a human being. So I'm really curious to know about how you both, you know, approach making the world a better place. Um, so we'll get into that today, but welcome. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having us. We're
2: yeah. excited to be here. We're
0: thrilled. <laughs> Wonderful. So I wonder if you can get us started telling us a little bit about where sort of your collective passion for environmentalism stemmed from. I know, I know Philippe, we're, I'm going to guess you must have been inspired by your grandfather's work. And Ashlyn, you were an entertainment correspondent. So tell me a little bit about that journey um, that you, you started on together. Go
1: ahead, Philippe
2: well you're you know you're absolutely right my you know my both my grandfather my father my you know my mother who spent many years on expedition um you know multi generation family that has you know focused on sustainability and conservation and storytelling and exploration particularly with the ocean so growing up with that um you know how could I not be inspired by the, all the films and and documentaries and books and um and uh, as I've pursued my career and, and my work, it's, it's certainly been uh, part of, part of it has been an effort to, 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 to do honor that legacy um, and, uh, and recognize that, you know, as, a, as someone as part of that family, I feel a responsibility, but not in a bad way, in an, in an amazing way to, um, you know, to continue that spirit of, of, of hope, and adventure and, and working to, you know, to make the world a better place.
1: And I met Philippe, um, when I was, uh, had landed my dream job. Um, I wanted to be a correspondent for E! News and I found myself doing that. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> it was, it was incredible. I did it for seven years, but I, I, I remember that the night I met Philippe, I, you know, when he explained kind of what he did for a living and I remember thinking, huh, if the Kardashians can be famous for nothing, then how can I make saving the world interesting and fun? And how, you know, how can I use kind of the, the power of pop culture to shine the light on our planet and our on our ocean? And as Philippe and I started, you know, dating and I, I put my reporter hat on and I started, you know, diving in deeper, literally into the into the ocean and, and it's, its problems that it was facing. I really just felt that my personal, you know, my, my, my passion and my purpose, which I was lacking in my first career, uh, was to make, you know, to make the, the ocean fun and exciting and, and make it important and make people realize how, how much it really affects them every single day. Absolutely. So that's what I realized that I, that I need to to shift the, the the celebrity light from celebrities to the ocean.
0: <laughs> I love it. And I mean, you know, something I want to, you know, explore a little bit more with you is is really the, the way we go about talking about these issues, right? I think for the longest time, when people thought about the environment or even like caring about the environment, they really felt like they had to adopt a certain lifestyle, right? Like they had to, um, you know be the most, uh, you know, quote unquote, tree hugger they could find, or, you know, really radically reinvent themselves. And one of the things that's so exciting from what I'm seeing here at Good Together and Brightly is just this groundswell and, and movement of the average person, right, who's starting to care more and more about the environment. But of course, that didn't just happen overnight that happened because of some of the work that you both have been doing. Um, and I'm curious to know, like, you know, you both are producers, writers, explorers. So what are some current projects you work you're working on? Like, what is, what's exciting in your world? And tell me a little bit more about, um, some, some things that are bridging this gap that we're talking about between like pop culture and the planet.
1: Well, I I first want to start with, with saying that you're completely right. And that, no one is perfect. The only person that would be perfect is if they were a V a naked vegan (laughs) (laughs) living in the woods. Um, and I don't know if that, and that is an option for some people. Um, but that is not an option for most people. And so I, you know, no one is perfect. And it's, it's really about how can each individual create the biggest change in their life um and and really steward the the environment and and the ocean, which obviously we focus a lot on, uh, to to make it better.
2: Well, and 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 it's it's you know the good news is that as you pointed out, you know for a long time the, the movement was seen as as exclusive. It was seen as as a movement of deprivation. I think it was very limited in terms of its reach. There was a lot of preaching and it converted. And it it wasn't something that really resonated with the broad spectrum of of society. Consequently, we are in the political morass that we find ourselves in where there is such, um, uh, you know, rancor and um, uh, tribalism around these issues.
0: Yes. That
2: has prevented us from making progress on problems like biodiversity collapse, right? I mean, in the last... What 40 years we've lost half the world's biodiversity. I mean, that's a staggering number. 90% of the world's fish stocks are fished or overfished. Climate change is, is rushing forward pell mell. And it's one of those things that, that, um, you know, I think has been to the detriment of the environmental movement has been a lack of, of a really having a clear and concise message, growing the, the tent of people and growing yeah, exactly. the constituency of people that that care about this and understand that it's a journey that we're all on, that we're all in this together, and it's something that yeah. can unite us and shouldn't divide us. And so, you know, as we look at, you know, certainly what what my family's focused on for for generations is that element of storytelling in a way that is that is exciting and fun. Um, everything from i serious documentaries that we've been involved in on um, Discovery or the BBC to, to fund shows like, you know, a series season, uh, a series we did for three seasons, Caribbean Pirate Treasure on the Travel Channel, which reached a completely different demo that probably wouldn't watch, you know, a serious documentary. And yeah. so, um, it's really been a, a concerted effort by ourselves and in, in growing in a, in a younger, you know, move the younger echelons of the environmental movement to reach beyond the converted. And to make this a movement that that is um, for everyone, and then that includes reaching young people, it includes diversifying um, you know the base and reaching out to you know historically neglected communities um, and bringing them in, and getting them engaged through environmental justice and issues and recognizing those issues, um, and that's been really really important. I think that's been why we see finally progress over the last few years towards this being a major issue. And a case in point at the most recent, you know, the, the presidential election uh, for the first time ever. And remember, in 2016, climate change, there wasn't one single question about the environment or climate change in any of the presidential debates.
0: Ugh, I know, it's and awful. In, you know,
2: in 2020, it was one of the leading platforms of President Biden and was one of the reasons, one of the top three reasons that young people turned out to vote. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing a, a, a sea change, pardon the pun, <laughs> uh, towards, I think, a, a younger generation and a demographic. And I think that's, I know that's in large part due to the work of, 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 unfortunately, still a small group of us in the environmental space that are focused on education and communications um, as a, as a key part, a key pillar of, of growing and building the, the environmental movement.
0: You're right. And a lot of the things that you're you're mentioning too, it's it's so interesting to think about the link between the facts and the way that we're presenting them to the public, right? Like I think most people have heard some of these staggering statistics that are, you know, kind of thrown out at us and a lot of us are just left when we hear that, just we feel hopeless. Like, what, yeah. what am I going to do? You know, and and combine that with the current state of the world and just the overwhelm of the news cycle and what's actually going on. And a lot of us are just kind of left, again, feeling helpless. And so I think the more that we can come together and, and realize that our daily actions do matter, um, the companies that we choose to support matter, the political movements that we choose to support matter. Um, and the way that we go about doing it is actually from a place of abundance, uh, rather than deprivation, like you mentioned earlier, it's just so important. So um, I love it. You, you both have taken this lens and really applied it to, you know, TV shows to, um, you know, documentaries and to maybe place maybe show up in places where people would least expect you, right? 100 well, yeah, percent
2: that's been really important you know the poster child of the climate change has been polar bears for far yes. too long and while yes. i love polar bears um people don't relate to that you know no. people relate to people and so how do we yeah. bring these stories home how do we make them relevant to people and how do we approach people in lots of different ways from virtual reality to television to books to you know to to to, to features to you know, all the different things that we've done to, to wellness products that we just launched a new company. And um, and that's been a, a, a very concerted effort on our part is to think differently to make this about people, to make this about our health and our security. Because right,
1: when you think of, um, you know, a single mother that's working three jobs and she has two kids and she's just trying to get, you know, she's just trying to make ends meet. She doesn't really want, she doesn't necessarily have time to ponder climate change or to ponder ocean acidification. But yes. if you sit down and talk to her about air pollution causing asthma in her children and making her children sick, she will listen. Yes. So it's also about finding those touch points for people that aren't necessarily just about, you know, biodiversity loss because sometimes people don't understand that they don't,
2: I don't have the time to understand. Yeah, it. Exactly. Okay. Yeah.
1: So it's like how, so truly, again, it's it's diversifying, diversifying the people that we're that we're talking to, the ages that we're talking to, diversifying um, how we're talking to them. Because some people will, like Philippe said, sit down and watch an earnest documentary, and some people will see. The, who produced it, and not and just not want to watch it off off the beginning? You know, they're exactly. like, "Oh, I already don't believe that person." So, oh, exactly. How, how do we how do we talk to everyone? And that's that's really what we're just constantly trying to do. Because even what is it? Sixty eight percent of young Republicans, climate change is one of their top issues. Yeah. So, it's, yep. you know, this is thankfully this this younger generation understands that clean air and clean water does not care what political party you're in. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: No, I I a hundred percent agree with that. And we, you know, we get a lot. So brightly has a really active brand ambassador community we've thousands of people have really raised their hand and said, I want to be part of this movement with you even more. And one of the top questions we get from our community members is like, how do I talk to my family about being eco? How do I, um, you know, like convince them? And we, we had this like funny conversation one day saying that like, Hey, your dad, like growing up, how your dad used to like yell at you to Put on a sweater when the house was too cold. Like he was accidentally eco, right? And like we just like laugh
2: about it, right? Yeah, you know, it's actually pointed something out really important, and and that's you know looking at entry points for people, yes, as opposed to just arguing and yelling at each other because you don't hundred percent agree, um,
1: and that you know, gets you nowhere.
2: it gets you nowhere. We really like to look for entry points when we talk to folks, mm-hmm. um, and it gets easier when you when you, the, the younger you skew because. The great news is, you know, through my nonprofit EarthEcho, you know, we, we work with hundreds of thousands of young people around the world every year. Um, and we you know, are, are a leading global environmental education organization founded under this belief that, you know, we need to to focus on education. We need to focus on engaging young people. And so young people today overwhelmingly are beyond the argument about like this is a problem. they are engaged in a way that yes, now we need to do something about it. So that's really the good news is I think we're evolving beyond this kind of back and forth. Is it a problem? Is it not a problem that can sometimes still dominate dinner tables, maybe with an older generation. So, so, you know, how we have entry points, you know, we always advocate entry points. What are the things that that are relevant to people, food, health, um, what are those entry points every day? Safety, Safety.
1: National, yeah. security. national security. That's exactly. a good entry point for people that usually don't want to talk about climate change.
2: Yeah, yeah, I remember I was giving a speech one time to a to a to a group of, of folks in the in the fossil fuel industry, and I was, you know, I was getting out there and listen, we need to be talking to everybody about climate. And you know, frankly, the first half of the talk, I didn't even talk about climate change. I talked about how our reliance on oil, and this is very relevant right now as yeah. we're seeing in Ukraine. Yes. Our reliance on oil is devastating to our national security. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a massive risk. And how many, um, you know, I believe it was somewhere around one out of six casualties during the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan were from um, uh, our men and women in, in uniform escorting fuel convoys. Mm-hmm. It's a massive risk that, that puts our, um, uh, you know, our armed forces at, at, uh, at risk. And so, um, you know, those kinds of different entry points, mm-hmm. um, sometimes we don't even use the word climate change, and instead look for ways that that we can talk about this in a way that is relevant to, you know, the audience. So number one communications tool, right? Know your audience. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's
0: 100%. I totally agree. Um, so kind of shifting perspectives a little bit, I know that most of your work surrounds marine life and ocean, excuse me, ecosystems. So Let's talk a little bit more about that. Like, what are some of the current issues our oceans and marine life are facing that our audience may or may not know about?
1: Well... Does everybody have a glass of wine? Because it might get a little depressing here for a second. Right? I mean, you can give us
0: the, yeah, you can give us the really quick, yeah, the, the, the TLDR.
1: Uh, right. I wish and I had and some wine. Make it And then we make hopeful. And promise we'll make it hopeful. But I mean, our ocean is in a lot of uh, trouble. It's yes. like we've said 90% of the fish stocks worldwide are either fish to capacity or are overfished. Um, Our ocean temperature is warming, which is creating these, you know, stronger storms, which are then hitting landfall. Sea level rise is also pushing the sea level higher and closer to uh, most of the world's population because it mostly lives in large cities on the coast. Um, What else? What else? Uh, Ocean acidification, which is actually making the ocean uh, more acidic and causing any organism that creates a shell to not be able to do that. And that includes the basis of the entire ocean food web like krill and um, and then things like coral reefs. Um, And I mean, I could keep going on, but I feel like I should maybe halt there before people get super sad. Um, Because what a lot of people don't realize is as we are talking about climate change and we're talking about climate solutions, no one's talking about the ocean. But what controls our climate on this planet? Our ocean. Mm-hmm. So um, climate change and the climate solution is truly uh, an ocean problem and an ocean solution. And that's what makes us really excited. We've seen with our own eyes the power that the ocean has to to renew and restore itself. And a healthy ocean would be our biggest um uh, warrior against, uh, against climate change.
2: You know, when you think about, um, the, the recent COP conferences and, you know, you hear the headlines and, and still what seems to dominate is planting trees, you know, these mm-hmm. natural carbon solutions. And it's very frustrating because, you know, as Asha said, the good news is, is, is when we think about the ocean as an ally, it's powerful. And so a square acre of mangrove, Mm-hmm. absorbs more carbon than a square acre of rainforests mm-hmm. you know we uh, the largest carbon sink on earth is phytoplankton in you know largely concentrated in the southern ocean and so you know i've been
1: wanting to do a social campaign and excuse me but i've been wanting to do a social campaign that says fuck trees and i know that sounds horrible but it's like we love trees trees are great but really it's you know trees grow it takes them so decades, long decades to grow you know, where some seaweeds that also can um, sequester carbon grow can grow a, a few feet a day.
2: You know, like kelp, for example, right? Yeah. And and so um, it's 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 frustrating, but it's also exciting because because there are so many of these kinds of yeah. ocean-based we call blue carbon solutions mm-hmm. that can be extraordinary allies in solving and and, and combating the climate crisis mm-hmm. um, that people are really just starting to wake up to. Yeah, I mean, just even that
0: that realization, right? Sorry to interrupt you, Fleet, but I mean, even just you guys going through and telling us about, you know, the impact that, you know, potential some of these blue carbon um, initiatives can have compared to the traditional plant of trees. Like, I think most people don't know that, right? So even just bringing a light to that's fascinating.
2: Yeah. Well, and we were just, you know. We, and again,
1: I love trees. I just yeah, feel like course. that is a very amazing social media yeah. campaign that yeah. I it, need to get on at some point. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's <laughs>
2: you know, because we want to catch people's attention and recognize that, you know, we've been ignoring, um, you know, the, 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 the strongest solutions yeah. which resi- which exist in the ocean, yep. um, not on land. But, you know, we're a terrestrial species. We're very self-centered and, and focused <laughs> on ourselves. And so, you know, I think we look around and be like, oh, well, the solution must be on land. Well,
0: no, yes. it's not. Um,
2: and, uh, but then also the exciting things that are happening, you know, that we're involved in, um, in in, with respect to how we also build this into commerce, you know, having run a nonprofit for a long time, we also really are looking at how new businesses and companies are embracing innovation and recognizing that, listen, it's not about sustainability anymore. It's about restoration. Like we need to be shifting the conversation from a conversation of sustainability to a conversation of, of regeneration. Because we don't want to sustain the way the oceans are now. Trust me, yeah, or, the um, or the planet. Period. We want to restore, and, and as Ashley said earlier, the good news is that's possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, what are some ways that you're seeing, um, you know, consumers, or even like from a business perspective too? Like, what are some ways that we can all get involved in this conversation and and um, and actually taking place in some of these regeneration activities?
1: I think it's important for people to remember that you know, number one, voting is so important, right? Vote. Vote, vote nationally, vote locally. That's very important. But a lot of people forget that some of their biggest voting power is actually in their wallet. Yes. And by the companies that they support or don't support, um, you know, they're, they're, they listen. I mean, businesses are listening to people. And also, I think that businesses have this incredible opportunity to really stand up and stand for something. Um, for instance, you know, Philippe and I have been wanting to do something for a long time and we were never sure what to do because we wanted to actually make a business that was impactful and not just a business that, you know, there's businesses that give 1% back to the planet. That's great, but 1% is not enough. Um, and so how can businesses not just at the end of the day, still make stuff that's bad for the planet, but then donate money. Why don't you make things that are good for the planet and donate money? So that's one thing that Philippe and I have did over the past two years. We we created a a, a new a new wellness um, company called Seaweed Naturals, where we combine the power of land and sea. So, um,
2: and we're sourcing because the idea was recognizing that again, that, you know, there's the, the emerging blue economy. Is mm-hmm. this idea that, that you know not, not the old blue economy because that includes things like offshore oil and gas, but the new blue economy where yeah. offshore energy, you know, restorative tur- regenerative tourism. Mm-hmm. Um, and utilizing, you know, resources and products in the ocean, like, for example, seaweed, which is like a superfood and an incredible, you know, uh, 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 plant, sort of a plant. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, there are farms, for example, in Maine, where farmers are cultivating kelp um, and growing it for food and increasingly for cosmetics and those restorative farms are sequestering carbon yep. they're providing habitat for species um they're you know uh, deacidifying the, the, the water oxygenating the water and and these are farms that you know are providing an income that can't be outsourced to uh former or current lobstermen whose income is declining because the lobster are migrating north because of climate change. And so looking at these ways where we can actually farm these kinds of ocean-based materials and have all these knockoff benefits, and then when you consume them, they're superfood, or as we're doing, we're incorporating them into our wellness line. So the idea is really thinking, you know, how do we use business and commerce and then transfer that to the consumer to make choices on the products that they're buying that are saying, wow, I'm going to buy products that are helping restore the ocean.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And we always say to, um, you know, it's also one of our goals here at Brightly and Good Together. And we're always saying that, you know, if we think about, um, you know, the power of conscious consumerism from an accessibility standpoint, you don't um, just have to support small brands, which we highly encourage people to do. But if you're in a situation where maybe you're in the middle of America, you don't have access to, you know, some of these more um, eco type stores like we do here on the coast, like, go into your Targets, your Walmarts, find brands and products there that have, you know, fair trade certifications or are made with organic materials and use your dollars there too, because those big chains, you know, they do wake up and they take notice. I mean, Target did a um, fair trade denim line. I think it was two years ago, but they Because of Target's scale, we're able to release, um, you know, a pair of jeans for like a really good price that were made ethically, right? So I think that's such an important thing to think about as well.
2: Oh, absolutely. There's there's options for all of us, right? And 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 of course, you know, we we you know all the things that we can do at home. I mean, gardening, growing your own food, shopping local. I mean, these are all the things that help local communities, help keep money in local communities, support local farmers. Um, You know, all of those issues. Uh, and those choices have consequences. And also oftentimes the choices that we're making, you know, are better for our health, better for our families, better for our children. Um, particularly when we think about food, when we think about the chemicals we're using in our home. Um, you know, oftentimes the chemicals that we're flushing down the toilet or down our sink are using as cleaning products. Well, if they're noxious for the environment, guess what? They're noxious for you too.
0: Yes. Um,
2: you know, and, and there's so much resources starting to come out. Unfortunately, because of the way the regulatory system in this country works going back to the 1950s. Um, the, the onus is on um, uh, proving that these products are unhealthy, not yes. proving that they are healthy. So that's a, that's just a structural problem. And it's not the same way in the EU, but here in the U S it's a, it's a big problem that we need to solve legislatively at some point. But um, you know, when we think about the resources coming out around everything from sunscreen, you know, chemical sunscreens um, to, you know, fertilizers roundup,
1: and dryer, um,
2: and dryer sheets. And yes. oh, like, oh, no dryer, sheets. <laughs> dryer sheets. Yes. Oh, please. No more dryer
0: sheets. Dryer sheets. It's,
2: you know, microplastics that are yeah. found every, like, in babies, you know, in, in yeah. their digestive tracts. You know, all of these things that are happening, these chemicals, these forever chemicals, these PFOS and all these things that are floating around that are using in plastics and, it, you know, in fire retardants. And it's like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Okay, that's bad for the environment. And it's also really, really, really bad for us and particularly yes. for our kids.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, I think it's just so interesting to, you know, as we, you know, continue on this theme of bringing these insights to people in ways that matter the most to them. And, you know, in a personalized way, you're right. I mean, we are a very, you said this earlier, Philippe, I love it. We're a self-centered species. We are. I mean, that's why we're around. And so saying, you know, hey, This isn't good for the planet, but guess what? It's really not good for you either. I think that's another way to get people at least to be curious. We talk a lot about that. Um, Just like having them to start asking questions and think about, well, what is the journey from, you know, the ocean to my plate looking like? And, yeah, and how do yeah. I get curious? Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm also speaking of the word curious, curious about how you both utilize like entertainment and those mediums to get people to be curious. Like, how do you like craft stories from that perspective? It's probably very interesting to hear how you attack that problem.
2: Well, part of it is is thinking about the audience that we wanna we wanna reach, right? Mm-hmm. If you wanna create content for kids, it's gonna be obviously very different than content for adults. Yes. Even within that subcategory. So I mean, well, it was also the one that convinced me to do uh, Caribbean Pirate Treasure. I mean, I think maybe that's a really good.
1: Yeah, story. I mean, I think that was you know when when Travel Channel came to us and was like, "Do you want to do a show about going and looking for pirate treasure all around the Caribbean?" <laughs> and we were like, "Can we get back to you on that?" Yeah. yeah good to <laughs> And Philippe and I really sat down about it, and and I hope I didn't push you into it, Philippe. And well, no, I'm so glad you did. Me. But I thought, you know, well, if if we can talk on, you know, on a network where we've never been before, and talk to an audience that probably doesn't sit down and watch Before the Flood, you know, mm-hmm. Rio film, but you know, if if we could talk to them about plastic pollution in our ocean, or Hurricane damage, or maybe climate change, or you know, like how how can we talk to those people about you know just just what's happening in our ocean under the guise of looking for treasure? Then that could work, and and it and it did. And I can't. I mean, I got so many great responses from people. So I'm from North Carolina, um, and I feel like I would get some good responses from people that I could tell were Southerners by the way they were they were writing. That it was probably someone that didn't necessarily care or or even think to care about plastic pollution uh, in the ocean, and and they after you know a season you know a showing in, in one specific episode how this uninhabited island was just trashed, like they were really bad about it, and yeah. and I appreciated that, and and I think it was probably it was a gentleman, older gentleman who probably never thought about it before, yeah, and- or
2: avoided the news or or you know maybe yeah. got their source of information from places that don't cover this kind of information you know very yeah. regularly like, it,
1: yeah. it was so that made that i called it uh hiding the peas in the pudding um <laughs>
2: so, so it, it, i think
1: that's greater or even we wrote um d- during lockdown we wrote oceans for dummies like yes. part of the four dummies series because they didn't have anything about the ocean so we wrote a 400 and some page book that explains the ocean, you know, from how it was formed to what lives in it to the problems. That, I mean, everything. And we made it really fun and, and easy to understand because the ocean is complex. Yeah, it is confusing, and not everybody can be um, a marine biologist. And and so we wanted to to help people. Just understand the ocean. Make it make it more easy to understand and, and accessible. It, we wanted it to be accessible. And yep. people
2: were kind of like, "You wrote a for dummies book." We we're like, "Absolutely. We <laughs> don't need another textbook or another tome or some highfalutin, you know, fancy book about the ocean. There's plenty of those. Yes. But maybe we need to get off our high horse horse and be willing to create a fun." dummy, you know, the, the, <laughs> games, don't um, that, that people can pick up and understand what ocean acidification is as a paragraph or two, as opposed to reading a whole chapter that like you need a PhD for. And so again, you know, th- there's sometimes I think there's this a little bit of snootiness still in the industry and in folks that talk about environment <laughs> yes, that, yes. Um, that we need to cut through as well. So, I, you know, the answer is really just being open-minded, yeah. which has been such an important part of Ashland helping me. Uh, who, you know, who, who coming from a family of, you know, historically, you know, earnest con- documentaries and conservation, um, being willing to take some risks and, and tell stories in different ways in unique ways that reach different audiences. Because, you know, my grandfather had a TV series, you know, they used sort roller of roll the for decades. You know, you had six, seven, eight, maybe a dozen channels on television. So you had like, you know, a network show on a Sunday Tens of millions of people were watching it. Yeah, you didn't have the selection that you have now. It's such a a distributed, you know, uh, a broken up kind of media market that we exist in, and so you re- really need to be smart about animated, scripted, funny, serious, you know, different sectors of, of of different audiences that we want to reach, and be be very mindful and 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 intentional about how we reach those different audiences um, and, and what stories we tell from them when we're there.
0: Absolutely I mean we could probably We could probably talk For three more hours About all this so <laughs> oh, fascinating <laughs> Right And um, you know uh, We should probably Do a follow up On just like Oceans for Dummies We should probably Talk through that Because that sounds Fascinating I love that you wrote A Four Dummies book I remember like that I'm gonna date myself I Remember I'd go to Like a Barnes and Noble And see like yeah. That whole section You oh, know yeah. right
2: oh, <laughs> Well and to think Right So when, when what the, fun, fun, It's the funny story That I think is Illustrative of Like this issue Around just oceans in general and how we still don't focus on that enough when uh ashland's agent reached out to us and was like hey you know the wiley people at Wiley publishing are great they reached out and they said do any of your clients have ideas about for dummies books and we were like well i don't know let's look online and yeah. there's one book about environmental science and the rest you know they have dummies books for foam rolling for gardening for hair, computer programming uh,
1: trimming your for, d- dog's you know, hair yeah, oh like, my gosh like dog dog there we go you know <laughs> and,
2: and we were like and there was nothing about the ocean nothing about animals nothing about nature nothing mm. and it's like this is a series of books that have been around for decades and yes. you're like wow and how like 70 percent of the planet no dummies book about the ocean copy that so we did it and it's just i think again indicative of of and the, the the fact that we take it for granted, yeah. and we overlook it, and it's been relegated to you know too small of a of an audience. Um, and so we see a part of our job is is reaching a bigger audience either through wellness products and consumer yep. products like CBD Naturals or books like Ocean's for Dummies or TV shows like like Tre- Caribbean Pirate Treasure. Though we still do you know or an animated series we're working on right now um, as well. So you know we, you know it, it, we're we try and be in lots of different places to.
0: That's awesome. And I mean, you know, so typically on this podcast, we like to kind of close things out with the same question to everybody. And it's really uh, building on what we were talking about earlier. But, you know, from your perspective, um, you know, what is the most exciting thing going on in the movement of conscious consumerism right now? Like what what are you really seeing? What's what's exciting you the most?
1: I think the the idea that's just starting, it's, you know, in its infancy, but this idea that we talked about a a little bit before that sustainability, sustainability is so off trend now. (laughs) It's like skinny jeans. (laughs) So that to go from, you know, to go away from sustainability and start thinking about restoration and regeneration, like that's, that's, that's what we need to be.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and, and, and
1: I see that happening, and that gets me really excited.
2: And what that means for communities, how we restore communities, how we restore the environment, how we restore people's health, um, and and that we don't need this trade-off where okay, we're going to go and pollute a bunch and make a bunch of money, and then we're going to go and try and donate a little bit of money afterwards because <laughs> we feel bad. Um, but it, it's more about the intentionality mm-hmm. of We want to start a business. We want to create products. And from the beginning, we need to figure out how those support people on the planet.
0: Absolutely. Well, Ashlyn and Philippe, this has been an amazing conversation, just so animated. I really felt like I was talking to just one of the family members right about this um and i know our audience is gonna love it so um audience members we will include links to all of their ventures in our podcast show notes we'll let you know how you can get involved more in taking some of their materials and really um getting them uh, you know across your ecosystems but thank you so much for joining us
2: such a pleasure Thank thank you for having us
0: for joining us on another episode of good together to get show notes and more head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And as a special thank you to our listeners, use code good together to get 10% off all products in Brightly's brand new shop full of planet positive swaps for your home. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social, where I know you can find us at brightly.eco. Don't forget we're all on this journey together. So have fun putting the planet first and stay curious.